this is a data privacy detective. It's almost the end of the year 2021. A lot of us will be happy to see that year passes by, and let's all hope for a brighter 2022. Lately, we've been taking a tour of countries about how they actually deal with the data of their residents. The issue sometimes we call it data localization or data nationalization. And back with me is my colleague, Hugo Nagashima. Uh, Hugo, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be here. Hugo, now you're licensed in the uh, state of New York as an attorney, as well as the District of Columbia and also the country of Japan. And you're part of the data privacy, data uh, security and technology transactions team at the U.S. law firm of Frost Brown Todd. Uh, so far, we've looked at China, Russia, India, and Australia together, and today we're going to go to an island nation. Where are we visiting today? Singapore. Singapore. Well, it's a great place. Not that many people live there. It's one of the highest income countries in the world, far beyond uh, the United Kingdom, 64% higher per capita income than the United Kingdom. That shows you what a colony former colony could do after a number of decades. And why do you think that is? So when you think of Singapore, you know, and you think of data, what do you what what are the logical interests of Singapore in regard to the global flow of data? So you mentioned that it's a island nation. It's a very small country in Southeast Asia, and it is a country that is trying to develop itself as the multinational hub connecting Europe, Asia, and Southeast Asia uh, all in one. So there is a lot of multinational corporations there who are um, transacting with you know, the Far East, China, Japan, Korea, uh, South, South Asia, uh, India, and then with Europe. So data transfer must be fluid. That's how I and, would see it. And not just Europe with the United States, many, many U.S. companies, when they look to Asia or uh, Eastern Asia, they'll choose uh, Singapore. Uh, not long ago, it used to be Hong Kong, but uh, now Hong Kong uh, has its own set of issues. So Singapore is one of those places. You, you create a kind of regional center. It used to be for trade of objects, flow of goods. And today it's flow of data. That's really what you're saying. So if Singapore wants to be a, an international uh, hub for data flows. And so it's, its natural inclination is not to make it too hard for data to flow across borders. Is that sort of the way we need to think about this country? I would agree. Well, let's take a dive into it now that Singapore has had a uh, national law, very comprehensive law since uh, since about when you go? 2012, uh, the Personal Data Protection Act. And what is it in general? We're not going to get into all the details, but in general, what's the approach of this law? So the approach is um, it's the basic idea of GDPR and the, there's a very limited amount of transfer limitations. There is a certain obligation, but it's similar to the GDPR in that as long as the country that's receiving the data is comparable to what Singapore has with their Personal Data Protection Act, data may uh, data can be transferred. Now you mentioned it's it's uh, 
GDPR-like, but really, when you drill down into it, it's quite different, isn't it? I mean, for example, you don't see the terms data controller and data processor. You see the words organization, which is a collector of information, or a data, data intermediary instead of a processor. And consent is, is sort of the, uh, the starting point. But there are all sorts of exceptions to it. For example, if a business has a legitimate interest, it's obvious to the person supplying information. No express opt-in consent is required. So would you say it's more flexible generally than GDPR when you, when you get down to what you really have to do to conform to it? That's right. It's a lot, I, I would say it's a lot more flexible than a GDPR. And the exceptions are uh, much more broader in scope uh, than GDPR. That's correct. And so let's focus on now, let, let's say that uh, a business is collecting information about Singapore residents, okay, collecting or using it, or it's going to process it. Uh, and this gets into the transfer. So what, 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 what is the approach to Singapore about uh, the transfer outside of Singapore of such information? Okay, so let's take, for example, there's a company that collected the uh, uh, data, uh, personal data of a Singapore citizen, and then it wants to transfer it to its subsidiary. Um, the ways to do it is uh, binding corporate rules where uh, the corporation would say, hey, in Singapore, we're following the uh, PDPA, the Personal Data Protection Act of Singapore. We will apply the same rules in the maybe the US subsidiary, or let's say the uh, you know, Japanese subsidiary or the UK subsidiary will apply the same rules if the PDPA protection is at the highest, which means if the, P if the Singaporean PDPA protects the most, then they're going to apply the same rules to protect that information. Um, so if, if yeah. a Singapore regional hub, uh, whether it's the parent company or the subsidiary, doesn't really matter. It's part of a larger organization, which is a lot of what you see within Singapore. Then as long as the entity overall is going to treat the Singapore residents' information comparable, not precisely the same, but comparable to how it would be treated in Singapore, then that's okay. That's what you're saying. That's right. That's one example. Another one is, uh, let's say it's not a subsidiary, so they can't use these rules within the organization. Yeah, let's uh, say it's a third party. It's a third right. party. They want it processed by someone. And uh, so how is it different? As long as the contract sets forth that um, the third party, uh, let's say there's company A who's in Singapore that has personal data and wants to transfer it to company B who's in the U.S. Uh, again, if there's a contractual agreement between the uh, company A and B that the, the personal data of the Singaporean citizen is going to be treated um, comparable to the PDPA, that would be good. That, that would meet the uh, transfer limitation obligation. And in February of uh, 2021, the uh, the regulator there, the, uh, the uh, uh, PD uh, uh, PC, released a guide that one can download on the web on data protection clauses uh, for processing personal data. So it's a way to say, uh, "Come on in, world, and you know, we're you know we're, we're we're ready to send stuff out of out of Singapore about uh, about our own residents. So we want to be part of this global." flow of data. I think that's what you're describing here. That's exactly right. Right. Uh, Singapore relies on um, transferring data across borders. And I think 
the PDPC shows their guide shows that um, that that transfer should be flexible and transfer should happen rather than keeping data locally within that state. But as to Singapore residents' personal data, Singapore then would expect a non-Singapore company that is obtaining the data to treat it in a comparable way. And if not, they have a Singapore entity that's transferred it and that, that company can be fined in Singapore, correct? There are enforcement that's right. provisions and these uh, indeed take place. It was interesting to see uh, in February of 2020, actually a joint statement by the United States uh, Treasury Department and the uh, Monetary Authority of Singapore, the equivalent uh, treasury, we would say, of, of uh, Singapore, uh, about this very issue, uh, saying that data localization requirements can in, uh, in, increase cybersecurity and, and, and other operational risks. Uh, they can hinder risk management and compliance. They can inhibit financial, regulatory, and supervisory access to information. And, and the statement declared the data mobility that's a nice phrase, data mobility, which certainly data is. Data mobility in financial services, where Singapore is very, very strong, uh, supports economic growth and the development of innovative financial services. And it goes on to talk about how this helps to combat money laundering, and uh, terrorist financing, and so on and so forth. So when we look, certainly at the, this is our fifth country to look at on our global tour. We'll be going to Turkey next time. Uh, how would you rate Singapore? Are we the, about the closest thing we found so far to the to the U.S. approach? I would agree. So it would be on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, so it would be somewhere between the U.S. and Australia side, while you have China, India, and Russia on the other end. So it would be more of let's let data flow, you know, across borders with certain restrictions. That's the box that it would fit in rather than having you know, data localization and just keeping data within one country. Uh, and it, it fits the model perfectly because unlike China or Russia or India, where uh, it's a continental power, uh, all three nations there have a big land mass and a great number of population that are, that are local, indigenous. And a large um, population, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's more benefits to keeping the data local or making other international companies, foreign companies, keep the data local within that country. Singapore is the flip side of that. It's a very small nation state. Uh, the size of the country is as big as a city. Uh, the population, of course, then is much smaller. And there's about 30% expats who work in Singapore. Therefore, uh, international data transfers or cross-border data transfers is necessary. In that case, you're not going to enforce a data localization scheme because it would just not benefit Singapore. Yeah, but unlike the U.S., let's take the U.S. just for a minute. Where, we, as far as I know, we don't really have a U.S. binding federal law about the the export of data. I mean, there, there are differences. You can't send it to a terrorist organization. You know, there are exceptions, but we don't have the kind of uh, data adequacy. I think that's the way to describe uh, Singapore. That you can you can export the data uh, of Singapore residents as long as it's going to be adequately protected, not identically that's protected, and not bordered by you have to have it all on a server here in the country. So very close to the U.S., but yet the U.S. Uh, 
doesn't have quite the adequacy approach of Singapore. Is that how we should view the country? I would agree with that. Um, Singapore definitely has a data and they have a comprehensive law, uh, the US. Uh, we don't have a federal privacy law. Uh, we have sectorial laws yes. and we have state laws that are more comprehensive, but there is no national adequacy level that that the Europeans would think of in GDPR or the Singaporeans would think with the PDPA. And maybe the last thought, one, one other thing Singapore has done, and it may be something for U.S. Uh, officials to look into who may not want to join a kind of very strict GDPR approach to everything, or certainly uh, uh, we're going to put up barbed wire around our data. Um, and that is a, a kind of APEC, Asia-Pacific approach to this, because there are uh, exceptions that exist with the Asia-Pacific cooperation cross-border privacy rules that has a system and there are countries within it. And this is a way for not just Singapore, but the countries involved to say, this is, this is how we want to harmonize. We're going to have our own different interests and our government may use uh, information for national security purposes. But here's how we want our economy to behave. Uh, Asia Pacific, anyway. And likewise, there's the same sort of thing, the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Privacy Recognition for Processors system. Uh, telling processors, fine, we don't care where you are really, as long as you're going to abide by these general Asia Pacific rules. Uh, good luck to you. We're happy to compete with you and serve you and be served by you. And so we're seeing kind of a very different model, aren't we, between the very nationalistic approach uh, of some countries we've dealt with and the uh, European approach of GDPR, uh, very, very comprehensive and pretty strict uh, set of rules. So maybe this is something for the U.S. Uh, one day to take a look at. Any concluding thoughts, Hugo? Uh, on that point, uh, I, I agree. I, I think we are seeing a... Uh, I would say like the Pangea or the, uh, the continental break of the models, you would have, um, you know, China, India, and Russia on one end, the, national, the nationalism model, you have the European EU model of GDPR. And I do feel that there is um, an APEC model there. Um, and it, it'll be interesting how, whether US will adopt the more of a GDP, GDPR model in the future, which we, we may see, or is it going to be a very U.S.-centric model that's based on uh, the opt-out concept, which which is the CCPA? It, it might just be an all-American model, as we might call it. And um, those may those four or you know additional countries in the Far East may compete. Uh, but it would be interesting to look at the very basic principles of uh, APEC, which are similar to the OECD uh, principles, and the U.S. may choose to uh, follow a model that's similar to APEC. That's correct. A much more free market approach. Free market, there is no such thing as a free market, really. There are always are rules to any market. It's just how strict they are and how nationalistic they are and how, right. how, how uh, goods or data or services are allowed to flow uh, among countries. Well, thanks again for joining us, Hugo. And next time we'll turn to the country of Turkey. Should be quite interesting. As always, I'll conclude by reminding us all, protecting your personal privacy begins with you.